Hey there, welcome to another episode of Teams at Work. My name is Daria Gutnick, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Bunch. I'm co-hosting the show with Anthony Rio, who is also my co-founder and our COO. We are on a mission to help anyone become a great leader. And together with our team, we're building an AI leadership coach to achieve exactly that. This podcast is for a new generation of leaders. Every episode, we talk to an inspiring guest who is running a high-performance team or a company to learn about their journey and what they do in their day-to-day to be an effective leader. So no matter if you're leading a team already or simply interested in becoming more effective at work, you can build your leadership skills by investing as little as two minutes a day with our AI leadership coach. If you're curious, download it for free on the Apple App Store today by simply searching Bunch Leadership Coach. Your journey starts with a quick assessment of what kind of leader you are today, and then you will receive personalized daily leadership tips to help you grow faster into the leader you want to become tomorrow. In this episode of Teams at Work, Anthony and I spoke to Christian Rebernick. Christian is a serial entrepreneur, angel investor, and mentor. He's also the father of three. He is the former CEO and co-founder of Vivi, former CTO at N26. He's also worked at Parship and at Share the Meal as CTO and CPO. His mission is to educate and empower the change makers of tomorrow. And he does that as CEO and co-founder of Germany's first virtual university, Tomorrow's Education. We talked to Christian about his experience as CTO, CPO, and now CEO. And what did he take away from all of these different roles at different companies? We also talked about how he used to hate sales and how he now actually loves it and what's behind that. And last but not least, at the very end of the conversation, it got really, really interesting. And I got actually goosebumps when I was speaking to Christian about this. But we spoke about how he deals with failure and what's love got to do with it all. So listen in and enjoy. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Teams at Work by Bunch. And here with us today is Christian Rebernick, the CTO and co-founder of Tomorrow's Education. Hi, Christian. Hi, Daya. Pleasure being here. Super cool to have you. And as always here with me, Anthony, of course. Hi, Anthony. Hello, and hey, Christian. Thanks for coming. Super cool to have you. I will dive right in, actually. I mentioned we met each other a while ago in 2015 as you, I think, just started building with the N26 team as their first CTO, if I believe. But when I was doing my research, I realized you've done so many things before as well. So (laughs) my first question goes to, how do you actually choose the projects that you are working on? And what's your secret to kind of like being so productive? Because you've been the CTO at Parship, you've built the Share the Meal app, You have been the CTO of like one of the very few European unicorns N26. You founded two companies since, and there is a long list of other projects. When somebody goes to your LinkedIn, I think it's super, super impressive. So tell us, what's the secret? I'm not sure if there is a secret beside age. (laughs) No, Um, I think over time, my purpose and intentionals have changed generally. I think my guiding principles for what I was doing was literally about you know, like you can optimize for certain things. Either you optimize for learning or you optimize for money. For me, it was always about learning. So it was also a reason why I would um, do something was literally about what do I want to learn? Where can I grow? What is really interesting for me? What is what I'm totally passionate about? This was driving me um, from that perspective. But 
when I, there's also a reason not just jumping into something, but also changing something. And there are two other reasons I would say, which may be changed then as well eventually. Yeah. And the two things is really that I thought maybe the culture doesn't fit. And the other thing is really that I said, okay, this is now, this is now I need to open my horizon to new roles. Yeah? And um, this also, for example, I was a software developer and later team leader section head at BWIN, one of the few unicorns actually from Austria. But I thought also that I, if to really grow, I need to step out of the organization. And on the one hand side, it's me meant to step up, becoming a CTO. But on the other hand side, salary wise, also responsibility wise, meant to step down. Um, and I think this was, for example, one of the really eventually hard decisions, but also clear decisions, again, to optimize for learning and for growth and seeing what this role actually eventually, for example, means. So literally, this was driving me now for yeah many years in many different um, opportunities. And I, ha- I think I've also I'm really thankful for all the opportunities actually I had to learn so many different roles, to advance, to have so many different areas, to have a bigger impact. And maybe to set this last sentence, I think it was like also this inner inner thought about having impact in the world um, was was driving me and motivating me a lot. I do have two follow-up questions on this. Sorry, Anthony, I know you're sitting on your next question already, but before we switch kind of topics, I think there's two things behind it though that I, I would love to learn from you, but I think also hopefully many people in our audience would love to learn from you. And that one, as you just mentioned, you've worked for not only one, but two unicorns and you've joined them relatively early. So especially in N26's case, I think it was 10 people or so, right? When you came on board and I really wonder how do you, like, what is the kind of the, the, the criteria filter you apply or like, how do you find and select your opportunities to make sure, because time is limited, we all know we only have so-and-so few many years where we're like really impactful and productive and you're making really great decisions when you pick those projects. So how do you go about this? That's a tough, that's a tougher question. Um, and I th- again, I think this has evolved over time and I would have wished certainly sometimes I would have learned things earlier. And also in my decision-making process, I mentioned I worked for BWIN, which is in sports betting back then. I, I wouldn't join this company today because of the industry literally, but back then um, it's like pornography and gaming have been the first tech companies to really become large. And it was really interesting from a software engineering perspective to join. And that was one of the driving factors because, wow, so many people leading there actually and betting with real money. And so it was really an interesting problem from an engineering perspective and a great impact you can have in that regard. Also, there was a global company. So it was really interesting from this perspective and literally learning about it. Talking about N26 as another example, I I, I really believed in looking forward to the future. And one hand thing, I think banking is really important to all of us. Yeah? So this is something which will not change in the next 10 years. But I thought the way how we bank today, that cannot be true in 10 years anymore. <laughs> so it, it was for me clear that banking needs to change and N26 was on there on something special. And I had been lucky enough to actually mentor them very early on. I was joining in 2013 via the Axel Springer Plug and Play Accelerator where I met Valentin and Max actually, and I mentored them before. So I had the opportunity to join them a little bit in their journey. And uh, when they actually first started from Papaya to, to found number 26 back then, that was a very convincing story how the future of banking needs to look like. And this was the reason, for example, for that. that I so one thing is what will not change. And the other thing is really what actually, how will the future look like and how will technology change that? 
And also having that opportunity to collaborate a little, right? Like date a little in a professional sense before you actually jump on opportunities. So I think this mentoring story is also super interesting for anyone who's kind of like looking to join new projects. I think just having a yeah leisure way to collaborate with those teams is probably a really, really good point too. Yeah, totally agree. I think finding out if the relation overall works and what it actually means is really key. So get to know the company, the people behind there before. It's really helpful to actually know what you're getting into. Christian, I think we're going to talk a lot about tomorrow's education. But before we get into that, two questions that kind of go together here. First one is, did you know you always wanted to be a founder? The interesting part, I actually accidentally founded a company during I was studying. Yeah, because I didn't like to study. <laughs> it was so boring for me. I didn't get the reason why to study. I was literally... Learning just for the next exam, and it was not a good motivation for myself. And that was the reason why I actually wanted to do something meaningful. And that's the reason why I created my own company, actually. It was an internet agency. So it was solving problems with technology. And that's what I literally also, i doing actually my whole life. It's still the same thing. I try to use technology to make create some meaningful, valuable solution for customers. And the founding part was not actually a thing, not important to me. I actually, I actually sold that company and joined a bigger company afterwards because I wanted to learn. And I mentioned it, I was optimizing for learning. So for me, this was really important to switch. And I also think, for example, just talking about N26, but it could be about partnership. It was always this kind of curiosity and this kind of, hey, I can learn there a lot um, with that step, which was motivating me. And I wouldn't say that today actually founding is such an important part as itself. So it's not a purpose in itself. I think that for me, it's a way, and this is maybe another aspect of it. The older you grow, the higher your expectations are to company cultures and to actually what's your working environment. And a huge driver for me actually is the working culture and what I want to work in, what's the environment I want to work in. And I know more than maybe earlier what I don't want anymore. So, and the founding a new company gives you the opportunity on creating a culture which works for you and hopefully for others as well and can inspire others. But in a nutshell, this is a very important aspect for me, actually, why founding something is important. And the second thing is you really can work on something you actually love in the first place. So, But that could also be true by joining another company. So that these are the two motivations for me, literally. And what about leadership then? Was leadership ever a thing for you in the early days? Did you know you wanted to be a leader at all? Uh, that's a good question. I think there is this imposter syndrome in the sense that you always think, hey, um, I fake it, I do my best, but I actually don't feel like I can do it, I'm good enough for it. And I I always felt this also a little bit true for myself. I had this really tough challenges often when I actually was about learning, you know, you go into something you don't know a clue yet about, yeah? And then you have this kind of overwhelmed feeling and there's so much to learn now, which is really great, but on the other hand, it's really tough, yeah? And I think leadership, I think I was a bad leader at the beginning, to be honest. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm good on now <laughs> to be discussed, but maybe three things about leadership. I think the first thing, what you need to get good at is actually self-leadership. Yeah, I think it's really important to be able to be self-aware, self-reflective, to know with how to deal with your stress. And I think this is so important before you're talking about eventually leading others. And there comes, I think, again, this kind of, hey, you need to be able to, before you lead others, you should also be able to provide value to others. Yeah, What's the value you can actually give, which you need to build up on that perspective? Yeah. So once you have that, again, it's also about 
you need to have a, build up this emotional intelligence. You need to build up collaboration skills. You need to build up communication skills and how to do, be actually effective. So there's a lot to learn and to grow to become a leader. And I think leadership in itself, again, for me, is not a purpose. For me, the purpose is having the impact. And so having impact, you have your purpose and then you build up your competences and you build your community, which could be your company, but it could be somebody else. It doesn't matter now, but you build your community around that. And together, this is how you create impact. If your purpose, which you get others on your way and your competence help you to be do that more effectful and then you have impact. And that's what for me is the relevance of leadership yeah, in a nutshell. It's just, it, it serves a purpose. And it's just the part of being more impactful for everybody of us. Yeah? And again, this starts with us. I do have a follow-up because I think the word impact plays a big role for you, I think, personally. And I now more and more for the world, which is great to see that we're moving into that direction. But of course, also for tomorrow's education. Before, I think Anthony is going to probably ask you more about this because he's very curious. Just to kind of double down on this, what is actually impact for you? Like, how do you measure it? How do you assess it for yourself personally? But also maybe how do you think about it in the company? It's a really good question. I was also like, I talked once to a British person and she said, hey, impact? They thought about a meteorite coming down on Earth and you don't have an impact on the Earth and it's not a good thing. So yes, absolutely. When I'm talking about impact, I'm talking about positive impact on a sustainable future, literally. I think truly we have one planet in a nutshell. And I think the United Nations set certain goals now, sustainable development goals, to make this a future worth living in. There is maybe more to it, but when I'm talking about impact um, today, I would talk always about this kind of positive impact working towards a sustainable development goals, because I think they are a great framework. They're not the ultimate answer, but they are a great framework on this kind of impact. It's not about climate only or stable institutions in the world, which we now need more than ever, or about education or health. There's a lot of areas you can have a positive impact in, but I think it's helping our society to advance and live in a, in a harmonious, sustainable way. And that's what I mean also. I have three kids now. I want to wish um, that they have a great life and their kids eventually have a great life. Yeah. So this is what I'm, when I'm talking about impact. And then it can be measured in so many ways. Yeah. And this is measuring is for me more than an indicator. Are you going to the right direction? And uh, depending on what you do, you will try to find your impact KPIs literally to achieve that. Makes sense. I think that's a perfect segue over to ask you about tomorrow's education. So what is tomorrow's education? So what tomorrow's education is a university, a modern university of the 21st century to help you in a remote world literally um, learn the relevant skills to have a positive impact. Our purpose is literally to educate and empower the change makers of tomorrow. Tomorrow's education, I think, is our answer to create a sustainable society in the future. It's our way to help people in today's circumstances to learn. Just to, I had just my son, he's currently 11, yeah, and he just learns the history of the European Union by heart. And I'm sorry, I think. This is not a skill we need to learn something by heart. Yeah, it's just outdated to learn this way, and I feel sometimes really bad about it. Yeah, and I really struggle because even if he learns it by heart really good, he will the next exam maybe get a good grade or a bad grade. But what does it tell it about him? And what is relevant when in ten years he's asked about the history of the European Union? What will he remember? Most likely very little. And I think this way of we have a knowledge available. You can 
Google it and it will be there in a second. Yeah, I think it's the wrong skill today, what he is now learning. And the knowledge is not the, the bottleneck anymore. I mean, yes, 100 years, there have been libraries and you would need to go there. And it was really great having knowing the things perhaps, but it's not today anymore. And I think we need to have a modern a modern way of learning and need to embrace that. And I think it would be so much interesting if the teacher would ask him, hey, Ben is his name. Imagine you want to found the European Union. How would you convince other countries actually to do that and join your mission to found the European Union? Give us a speech about that. And then he would literally research the history just to understand what was actually going on and come maybe up with a great idea. And in this way, he learns a lot he learns not just about the history, he learns how to communicate, how to abstract the relevant information, think critical. So a lot of competence. And I think this kind of modern relevant learning is something what we need. We need to have people who can actually think critical, solve the problems of today's society. Yeah? And I wish this for my kids that they're not just learning things by heart uh, for the next exam, which to me back then led actually I dropped out of university, but that they actually learn things which they can use in their life to create this kind of better future. And yeah, the second thing is, I think in a remote world, or in a not remote, in a global connected world, we can do so much more online and we can use online better. I'm not saying that we should do everything online, but I'm saying we can use technology to learn more effective. Tools like Bunch can help you in better ways to be engaged and take every day a step forward then just going and reading a book for a certain period of time and then trying to make a summary. This is not going to cut it. So that's what we are thinking of, a modern approach to education, but also empowering. That's what the community also matters, this global community we are trying to connect our learners together with. And you already built the bridge. I think there's tons of overlap between the approach we're all taking to sort of helping people develop themselves and others in a way that fits the I don't know. I mean, I think on the one hand, I want to say the way we do things now. But on the other hand, I think what you said about how we learn, I think that was probably always the case. I think trying to make people just memorize stuff was probably never, ever the most effective way. But hey, you know, we learn about how we learn. So we couldn't agree more. I mean, I wanted to ask you, was that the origin story of what inspired tomorrow's education? Or is there more to sort of the origin in the beginning? The, the origin was a little bit more awkward. I was literally in the pandemic. I was sitting at the in the living room at the table. I mean, I was working on one side and my kid was, he was sitting literally on the other side of my table. He had his notebook open, staring into it. And again, it was just a teacher talking and talking. I was working and I, when he was, uh, when the teacher was talking and he was listening, I was saw, and it took a little bit, but after half an hour, he fell asleep. <laughs> and I thought, oh my wow. God, happening really yeah? and I was sitting on the other hand side of the table I was saying this is not happening or and I felt it resonated so well with me because it reminded me of my own education I thought why is this the rest? and don't get me wrong there are great teachers yeah so I'm not saying they're not great teachers and I think this was really a bad case but this was the trigger for me to look into the whole topic because listening to a lecture of one hour doesn't work for an 11 year old it doesn't work for us as well so yeah. This was when I said, okay, let's look into it. And why is this the case? What can I do? Um, and I thought also, it's really clear education in 10 years will exist. It's more important even education in the future. It doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. But it also need, will evolve in the next 10 years. So this was, again, the same thing that I mentioned at the beginning. This will evolve and we will be able to use technology to make better education. So that's when I said, okay, let's look what I can play in this role here, how I can help and benefit here society. 
with, within that sector. And it's super, super inspiring how this like spark of insight then leads to action, leads to really serious risk-taking, right? Like founding in a pandemic is not the easiest thing to do. Founding in general is not the easiest thing to do. So congratulations again for doing that step and jumping. Another way to learn is to um, adopt uh, different roles and wear different hats, which you got to do, I think, a lot in your career, right? You been a CTO, you've been a CPO, you've been a CEO now two times in a row, and that's the role you're currently holding. So talk to us a little bit about kind of how these roles differ for you, like which perspective change came with that as well. If you have a favorite one, we'd love, also love to hear that. And of course, the learnings, right? Like what's maybe the one thing you took away from being more of a tech and product leader versus a business leader that you think everyone actually should know about or should learn at some point in their life and that you learned in these roles? So I think that every role we all have has big challenges. doesn't matter if it's a designer, a marketeer, a developer, a CEO or a CTO. Or all those roles have can be very, very challenging. And you can make them challenging, which means also that you can make them most interesting for you. And you can learn, I think, a lot in every of those roles. For me, it's maybe the interesting part. Um, so again, I was for nine years, more or less a software engineer. Yeah. And there's a, it's a lot of software engineering. It's just doing deep focus work. Yeah. And it's a very different role if you're a CEO, which is a work, which is typically often interrupted. Um, it's a lot of sales outgoing. Yeah. So for example, I thought back then I don't like sales. I literally hated sales <laughs> as a software engineer. And it's really interesting because I really was thinking this and I cannot do it. I'm really bad at it. Um, and I think it's shit. Um, so <laughs> today I would say it's the other way around. I love, not but I love, I think it's great. Sales is a great opportunity on communicating value. It's really the best, one of the best ways, in fact, the face to help others actually. And so I think it's a very valuable skill, um, but it's really interesting because way, way back then it was more. I had more maybe a fixed mindset that I am like this and I cannot be like that. Yeah? And I think this is just wrong. <laughs> In a nutshell, if you have this kind of growth mindset and no, hey, it's a choice. It's a choice. Actually, more you can learn these things. Um, yes, it's uncomfortable. Fucking hell! At the beginning, uh, you get out of your comfort zone, but we can. We can grow into these expectations if we really try also our best to grow into this and embrace the challenge which comes with it. It can be a very say, thankful opportunity to learn becoming a, a role. What is important or was important is um, at the beginning, for example, switching, I didn't feel the satisfaction in a meeting than if I had, if I have a code shipped. <laughs> so, uh, but this comes as well. At the beginning, it was a little bit change of mind to feel satisfaction with the job you do and get this kind of positive thing from it. But again, this if the more you do it, the more you actually get used to it and feel satisfaction in it. So I think for everybody, I just would encourage to not be to more pursue what you think is important, where you can contribute value and then grow into this role. And excel at it, yeah. And don't be and continue with that. But if you don't think that you cannot go into another role, if whatever time has changed and you want to do that, I think this is totally possible from this perspective. Yeah. I think I was very similar to you, uh, Christian. I'm sure there are many people out there. I wasn't an engineer, but I definitely had this transition and definitely had this experience of like 
I think just being biased towards the focus work early on, but finding a love for the outbound stuff. And I think the early stage projects maybe sort of force you to think like that because in order to get something off the ground, you need to basically build so many relationships, internal and external, to get your thing going that it forces you to see the positive side. So I think in a weird way that that pressure on your little seedling of a project actually just forces you to basically look at things differently, which I think is fascinating. But not an engineer shared your journey for sure. Definitely love it too. And I think have found my unique take on it, hopefully. But um, I think that also kind of alludes to the whole, like it comes back to this whole of being a founder idea. And I think I often think about or try to think about whenever I have a spare moment, how founding or founder leadership is different than just maybe being a leader at a larger company or something like that. Daria and I, of course, are, have been in this for a long time now. And I know you've worked with a ton of co-founding teams and a lot of co-founders over the years. And I'm sure every single relationship also individually or sort of bilaterally, but also within a specific company and entity, they've all had their own journeys. I mean, I'm sure there have been some really like awesome moments and I'm sure there have been some really challenging moments. I mean, what would you think is sort of like a secret to kind of a successful founding relationship? And then would love to hear maybe some of the stories or, or some of the big learning moments you've had as a, as a founding leader. So, yes, absolutely. I think also founding is different than joining a company which is existing. I had both opportunities to join existing companies. I cut a couple and also found I had the opportunity to fail. And I also mentored a couple of companies. And I think in startup world, I think number one factor is the team of why startups fail. We see this really literally most of the time. This is also the reason why most investors look most careful at who's the founding team, what's their relation. I think it's it's one of the key determining factors if this is successful. And um, for me, the, there are a couple of things which make great founder teams. And the most important one is trust. Having this kind of, it's not like parenting, but it's like this kind of, hey, I wanted you thrive as well. This kind of, I really wanted you make it as I make it. That is, I think, really, really important so that you don't want to, you're not protective of what you do, of your successes or anything, which can hurt the whole founder relationship. I personally, um, I think, so there is this 37 level, um, 37 questions of love. I think they're a really great method actually to gauge a little bit on, get to know each other if actually better. The other indicator for how trustful um, a relation is, is past experience. If you have worked with somebody together, people have who know each other very well typically are better founding teams. It's not true for everybody, but in general, I would say, because they know each other when it comes to critical situations and how to deal with problems. And this is just the, the most normal thing that you have described this kind of roller coaster. And this roller coaster means there are tough decisions. And if in the tough decisions, they are the, the, the parts where it proves if you're a good founding team and how you deal with those situations. Yeah. And again, this is the most important factor for me is trust. I would even say I would hire first for trust before I hire for something for skills. Nonetheless, I think also that, for example, having different competences is relevant. Different areas you can rely on. And um, I would love to have a partner in crime. And it doesn't mean now he can do everything. I think it's this willingness to learn everything is way more important. It's great. Hey, um, I don't know. I would say I've taken now on for sales and you would take technology or you take marketing or whatever could be. 
I think it's really important that you embrace that and then you say, hey, I can rely that this, my partner is taking care of it and that we can align then on the liar level. And that's why where trust is so important. Well, so I give you an example uh, about N26, just because we talked about those two founders yeah, um, at the beginning. It's interesting, I think, because uh, Max is, has come from a lawyer and law, more consulting background and uh, Valentin comes more from a product and sales background, I would say, yeah? And it wasn't the obvious choice, I think, in the beginning eventually, but eventually it was the, actually the real winning factor for them is that they would have a, a real heated this debate starting in the meeting with all leads, yeah? Um, and then at one point of time, when it was clear they are not aligned, they would literally leave the meeting room in that moment and come back after 15 minutes, for example, with a joint voice. And this kind of, hey, they are working together 100% is a really critical thing for founder team. Yeah, That they, doesn't matter. They speak as one. Yeah, They are not like, oh, I have this opinion and you have this opinion. But they, Because then any team members would want to, but who should I now listen to? Is it this or is it this? What is the way we are going? This is a killer for any organization as it grows. So to sum this up now, for me, it's really about trust uh, as a first factor. Then it would be different skill sets or areas you really embrace. And the third thing is then really this kind of being one, actually, being one when it comes to the, to, to the purpose they want to work on and uh, to the values, how they want to get there. This is such a great Example, and thank you so much. I think this was super, super tangible. And I was just reflecting on so many situations in our reality, I think, where we can apply this tip. So thank you for that anecdote. Super helpful. I'm wondering, like, how do you first establish, but also maybe gauge that trust? Because I find it specifically with founder relationships, but also with, you know, important hires, people you bring on board and you don't know them that well, right? Like it's not, um, unless you really, you know, found with someone who's been your buddy from your childhood, which happens of course, but oftentimes you meet people along the way. And so how do you think about this like establishment of trust phase? How do you gauge it and how do you push it forward? To be honest, I think I'm not setting always good examples because I did a couple of hires where it was not, was not a fit, a mutual fit. And I'm not saying that one person is not good. I'm just saying you need to have this kind of fit from both sides. Yeah? And I made really, I would say many mistakes. Maybe I made a lot of good choices as well, but I definitely would say I didn't do 100% correct. Yeah? So, and every time I did not do it correctly, I regretted it afterwards. And what I regretted was not making the wrong choice, but not taking enough time to get to know that person. So I hired, for example, a person which was based in US. And I thought, wow, that's so great. It has ticks all my boxes, really very result-driven, passionate, amazing track record, would have all the, the brands in the CV. And I thought, oh my God, this person needs to come tomorrow and let's make this work and let's get the contract ready and uh, whatever it takes. Yeah, And I was all them to get this person in. And then I just noticed I had never met this person, actually. I hired a person remote. I never spent enough time to get to know this person, really understand how this person deals in hard situations, what are the underlying values, how this person deals with stress. And then comes a very painful process because I didn't do what I would say, get to try to get to know this person, really. And you can argue always, I think, this is if you look at um, 
split scaling from read um, that this is like a good approach, get people just in as much as we can, as fast as we can grow and we will figure out what works. And then after eventually, I don't know, half a year, you just separate it's fine. It's part normal part of the process. This is happening anyway to 50, 50% of your, your stuff. The thing is, this is so costly because it's not just this person getting in. It's all the team members, actually, who need to embrace this new person in your team. It's you actually onboarding the team member on your journey. This person actually eventually has some different opinion, bringing on, shaping something and rounding something up. It's just to find out it doesn't work out. So it's a costly thing in a nutshell, yeah? And there is this always this balance, especially in startups. How fast do you want to hire? How many mistakes do you want to acknowledge? And for, for as, how thoroughly do you want to make your assessment? And that's what I meant. You need just to be very conscious about this decision. Do you take the time or not? And do you accept this risk? And again, I, I think all my mistake hires was because I just rushed it. I do, did have the gut feeling somewhere that this is not maybe a, a perfect round of decision. And then I didn't listen to my gut and guess it turned out differently. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's super interesting to even hear the reference to blitzscaling in the current environment, right? Like we've been in this market correction market for a few months now and it's as if it's always been like this. But even just hearing you say that, I'm like, wow, nobody would do that right now anymore. <laughs> nobody would even argue it's a good idea to bring on 100 people to let go 50 again in a few months. Nobody can afford it anymore. So I think it really, def you're totally spot on. And I think it's always been maybe not the most sustainable approach, right? Oftentimes people sacrifice to come on board. They push back uh, life plans. They adjust their lives to you and so on. I think there is also this component of you offer opportunity to someone, but you also always offer a risk and it's both sides, right? Like it can That's work. So I think it's a much more sustainable approach that, uh, yeah, you're suggesting or describing. Last question on my end, actually, before I um, play it over to you, Anthony, for the closing one, which I know is your favorite one, what's the biggest challenge would you say that you're currently facing in, in your role or just in general? And how are you going about it? How are you tackling it? So the biggest challenge, I would say, in a nutshell, is always um, in our society, in companies which are depending on people like to 90%, I think it's people, to be honest. I think building an amazing team, enabling them, providing them enough context. This is, I think, the biggest challenge in that regard. Yeah, I would say in a startup world. Again, yeah, for me, this is the biggest challenge. And how, yeah, again, I, I wouldn't say I'm I constantly to solve this constantly. I'm trying to discuss with my co founder, Thomas, currently. What are the decisions there? What are we focusing on? How do we resolve things? There are a couple of tough challenges. How quick do you react on certain things? How much time do you give it actually? So there, uh, yeah, I think there are a lot of challenges in that space. And the, it's it, the most important factor for us is the team, are the people who actually make that possible. And to collaborate is one of the most, it's the biggest, that's the, the magic how you as a startup is, are successful. We'll have to do another uh, another podcast on the collaboration topic. Because yeah, totally. Also the PMF questions and all the product building questions and all these other secrets you hold. But I know we've been holding you for a while. So yeah, Anthony, go for it. Stay tuned for episode two with Christian um, <laughs> at some point. There's one final uh, question we always love to wrap up with, Christian. And I think the reason is this because at least on, on, um, on paper, Bunch's mission is to sort of like 
you know, help people go from zero to zero to one in terms of leadership and management. And, and to be honest, I think a lot of the stuff we've talked today, particularly the collaboration point is, is the number one challenge also for the new manager, whether you're in a big company or even a small one, whether how to handle those situations and how to get people to work together. Like it, it really is all the same at kind of different scales, all the same in essence. So the question always is if you could go back in time to when you were just starting out, maybe your first your first team lead role, perhaps, or your first, whatever that moment is where you sort of like got your feet wet in terms of leadership and management and whatnot, what two or three tips would you go back and give yourself if you could? Do you mind, you mean beside, beside applying for the bachelor at tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> that could be one, everybody. There you go. Apply for the bachelor's at tomorrow's education. It will very much help. The totally, I would do that when I would go back. It's really what I would have wished for myself. But I think in a nutshell, it, it's, I would think more clearly about my purpose, reflecting on where I want to do and why I want to do that. And then um, it would be more focused even on my learning journey. What do I want to learn to achieve? What is the biggest impact uh, on what, what are the most important skills actually I need to learn and want to master on that purpose? And I would try also to build up. I didn't back then, sorry, before software engineers, so maybe software engineer, I was so stupid. I didn't think so much about people and how relevant they are to me yeah, and how helpful they can be, but big benefit. So I would way more earlier, and again, this was just me back then really being, uh, had to learn a lot. <laughs> I would way earlier actually just build up my community. I really think for my growth, my purpose I want to achieve and surround them, surround me with them. Yeah, um, These are the, the three things. And for the, the competences, I think this growth mindset I mentioned before, like growing on challenges is really important. Yeah, so And it felt a little bit like being an imposter because I I did really join things which I was not ready for. I must admit that, but it was also the best learning parts actually on the other hand side. Yeah. So um, it gets you out of the comfort zone, but it's really where a lot of things happening. Such a strong call to action there at the end. Maybe I'm the one with the follow-ups. <laughs> Maybe a follow-up <laughs> on that one. <laughs> How do you actually keep a cool head, though, in this situation? Because I think in the startup environment, we see a lot of encouragement for that particular step. And I fully agree with that. I think everyone does who's ever done a step out, out of their comfort zone. But at the same time, the moment you do it, even though you know that it's so like a good thing to do right for your growth, it's still very overwhelming and you are kind of really lost and everyone reacts differently. What has worked for you? Or do you have any advice on how to deal with these first moments? Yeah, I can have some, some smart things like building up habits of meditation. But beside that, which we have discussed all, I think, a lot, last week we had our vacation with our team. And we have a new join in the team, which comes from Mexico. It's Jorge. And we had a morning stand-up question and throwing around orange around. And the question was, who is your role model and who is your mentor? And he, I give his, his answer now because I really thought it was so great. He was saying it, but it's my father because he learned me self-love. And this was bringing me pretty much to tears because he said, with self-love, nothing can happen to me. And he's a salesperson. And he said this so vividly and it resonated so well. If you love yourself, yeah, if you truly love yourself and you accept who you are, how you are with all your mistakes, nothing can actually happen. Yeah, it's all, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and this kind of same thought it's, it's so true um so i think the biggest and most important basis of everything how you get through all the challenges love yourself love yourself how you are with all your good things your bad things 
if you I don't know if you have <laughs> how you look, it doesn't matter. I think this is the really important. Love all your embarrassments, all your maybe if if something works out, it's all great. You are great, and I think this is the would be me for me the the key thing. Learning how to is and yeah. Um, Again, I, I really, I always if I think about it and hear him talk about it, maybe cry, really. It's, I think it's such an important part. I got uh, goosebumps. So thank you so much, Jorge and Christian, for the insights, the learnings, the wisdom, this wisdom nugget. It's been extremely valuable to hear you speak and look back. And I personally love, learned so much and love the conversation. Thank you so much for making time to talk to us. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dara and Anthony. I really enjoyed the discussion um, and hopefully can inspire a few to really embrace their own self and their learning journey. You've inspired us, Christian, that's for sure. And your team has as well. And I, I thought it couldn't get any more powerful, but it just got all, too powerful all the way towards the end. So really appreciate it. And thank you so much for spending the time with us in the community. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Teams at Work. Let us know what your thoughts are on today's episode. You can find us on Twitter at Daria Gutnick and at Anthony A. Rio. Or simply follow Bunch at Bunch underscore HQ. And don't forget, subscribe if you like the episode, because we always have interesting guests who join us and share valuable knowledge as well as actionable advice. Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Please do get in touch. At the beginning of the show, we did mention that we're building an AI leadership coach that helps you level up as a leader in just two minutes a day. Check us out on the Apple App Store and simply search Bunch Leadership Coach to find it. Try it out and let us know what you think. And that's a wrap. We are your hosts, Daria Gutnick and Anthony Rio, and we're excited to speak with you all soon. Till next time.